The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for uh, WGN uh, news radio stations, WGN in Chicago and KNX in Los Angeles. You can read all my columns on the Hill at muckrack.com, that's M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K.com, front slash Brad Bannon. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the peoples and players behind the progressive policy and politics that drive our great nation forward. This week on Deadline DC, we have two great guests. In the first half hour, our guest is the noted uh, economist, Dr. Robert Shapiro. And then in the second half hour, our guest is Congressman Ro Kahana of California. Our first guest today, uh, first of all, uh, we are going to, the first thing we're going to talk about with Dr. Shapiro is the uh, United States Postal Service. And I think we have some sound there. Now to an MSNBC exclusive. New documents detail more than a dozen conflicts of interest Postmaster General Louis DeJoy faced over investments in companies with ties to the U.S. Postal Service. Now these internal documents were obtained under court order by the government watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, also known as CREW. Now, here's one example. In August 2020, J.P. Morgan Chase said it held talks with the Postal Service several months before about installing ATMs in post offices. At the time of those talks, DeJoy's financial interests in J.P. Morgan Chase was more than $15,000. They also show that DeJoy had conflicts of interest relating to the company where he served as a chief executive, XPO Logistics, a company that later received a $120 million contract from the Postal Service. Okay, that was from MS, uh, MSNBC News and on the conflicts that uh, uh, Mr. DeJoy uh, seems to uh, uh, have uh, at running the Postal Service these days. Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, chairman of Sonicon, an economic advisory firm, and he's a senior fellow at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. He's an internationally known economist who has advised several prominent Democrats on economic policy. 
He was Undersecretary of Commerce for the Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. Uh, His website is sonicon.com. That's S-O-N-E-C-O-N.com. His Twitter handle is Rob Shapiro, R-O-B-S-H-A-P-R-I-O. Dr. Shapiro, welcome back to Deadline DC. Uh, first, let me ask you a question. You've written recently about the problems with the Postal Service. My first question is, why is Mr. DeJoy still the head of the Postal Service? Uh, Joe Biden promised to remove him, uh, but after eight months, he's still there. Why? Well, because he hasn't replaced, uh, filled the open seats on the governing board of the Postal Service. And The Postmaster General is named by the governing board. Um, And there are three open seats. And, you know, this is the White House has had a problem, which is quite understandable, with bandwidth. Uh, They are handling so many things at once. They're handling the pandemic. They're handling the economic after effects of the pandemic. They're trying to put in place um uh sweeping reforms both in infrastructure and in uh the social safety net in addition they have (laughs) everything that's happening around the world including the end of the afghan war um and frankly they don't have the bandwidth to to handle all of it at once Uh, i don't know that any white house would um and so some things are slipping through the cracks And that's certainly true with a lot of nominations. Uh, And the governing board of the Postal Service is a very clear example of that. They could, DeJoy would be voted out if they filled the three vacant seats. Okay. Uh, Next question. Uh, A lot of people still send out holiday cards in December. and my question is, uh, if you want to make sure uh, that your uh, holiday card uh, gets uh, to where it's supposed to go uh, by the time of the holidays in late December, should they be mailing them now to make sure they get there by Christmas or Hanukkah or whenever? Well, Thanksgiving, probably. You know, DeJoy, you know, DeJoy... The charges of personal corruption by DeJoy, you know, that is really a dog bites man story for the appointees of the Trump administration. Um, You know, he did what countless numbers of cabinet members did and who were forced out of office sometimes as a result. What's much worse is what he did to the Postal Service. And, you know, the the. the Postal Service is, is, is a unique kind of organization because it's a hybrid. You have a, a the Postal Service on the one hand uh, has a, a public mission and it has a monopoly on the delivery of first class mail in order to carry out that mission, which is prompt universal mail delivery. But it also delivers packages. And in that capacity, it competes against UPS and FedEx and DHL and Amazon 
in the delivery business. There is no other sector in which a government entity competes directly with private companies. And here's the problem that the Postal Service faced, and then we'll see how badly DeJoy responded to that problem. For the last 10 years, there's been a steady decline in the volume of mail, and that's because of the internet. Everybody gets their bills by the internet. Everybody pays their bills by the internet. The volume even of, send their holiday cards out on the internet. Even send their holiday cards. The volume of mail in the last ten years uh, has declined by thirty percent. Wow. Um, at the same time, because of the internet, the volume of package deliveries has gone way up. And that's because people order things by the internet instead of going to the store and buying it. Where you uh, risk getting a uh, uh, Delta variant. Yes. <laughs> so the, the, the volume of parcels over that same period that the Postal Service delivers went from 1.4 billion to 7.3 billion. Well, the revenues followed this. The revenues from mail declined and the revenues from packages increased. And uh, there, there are two other things you have to understand in order to understand what happens, what's happened to why we don't get our mail on time anymore. Um, one or get is, it at all. Or get it at all. One is that uh, the Postal Service is in no position to compete with private companies to deliver packages because as a monopoly, a public monopoly, it is necessarily less productive than companies in the private sector. And look, no company in the private sector would charge the same thing to deliver a package from a small town in Vermont to a small town in Montana uh, but that's what the Postal Service has, has to do as part of its public mission. So, so this is expected. So, but the question is, if that's true, how did the Postal Service manage to uh, so vastly increase its market share in package deliveries? Uh, Dr. Shapiro, we're going to have to go to break now, but we come back. Uh, we're going to have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon with our guest today, noted economist, Dr. Robert Shapiro, uh, who's here to join us, uh, who's here to talk about the Postal Service uh, and other matters that we'll get to during after the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, I should announce that Leslie will be back at the helm of the show tomorrow. Uh, Leslie will also be part of a talk this Wednesday uh, at Emerson College in Boston, uh, where uh, she'll discuss the uh, future of journalism and uh, opportunities in journalism. Uh, the best way to uh, find out more about Leslie's talk 
uh, is to go to the uh, uh, School of Communications website at Emerson College, or you can go to uh, Leslie's Facebook page. It's Wednesday evening from uh, 6 to 7 Eastern Time uh, at Emerson College in Boston. Uh, so uh, go to Leslie's Facebook page or the uh, website at the Emerson's uh, communicate uh, Emerson's College School of Communications to find out more. Our guest in this segment is Dr. Robert Shapiro, uh, who is an economist, and join us to joins us to discuss about the uh, discuss uh, the decline of the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Shapiro, do you have any idea when President Biden will finally get around to appointing the board members who will replace replace the uh, current chair? Sure, when either the public or members of Congress demand it. Okay, okay. Well, if you're concerned enough about the Postal Service, then they should contact your senator or representative in Washington. Uh, do you think there's a reasonable hope that uh, Congress or the president or both uh, will be willing to come up with uh, more money to subsidize uh, the Postal Service so people get their mail on a regular timely basis or uh, raise the price of stamps? What do you think is the best way to go and which way do you think will go or will anything happen? Well, I think the best way to do it is through, through an appropriation rather than higher postal rates. Uh, because the distributional effects are better. That is, that is, the appropriations are financed by taxes, which are paid by the top half of the country, and the people who are most dependent on mail service um, are everybody, but also perhaps a little more, the bottom half. Uh, on the other hand, there's a good economic argument that the postal service should be paid for by those who use it. And in that respect, you would want to raise postal rates. The most important thing, however, is to stop the postal service from shifting resources uh, from mail delivery to package delivery. Uh, and uh, to do that, uh, that's a harder problem. And I think that one of the things that we have to do is look at the Postal Service in much the same way we looked at AT&T in the 1980s. AT&T um, had a monopoly on local phone service, and that made it difficult for it to compete, for other companies to compete for long-distance service. And so what they did was they said, okay, um, everybody else can use the facilities, this, this unique network that AT&T had at the same cost that AT&T bears to use it. We can do the same thing with the postal service by saying that um, the use of the facilities and equipment and personnel from postal that, that is financed by postal rates, the use of that for package delivery should be open to any package delivery company at the same cost that the postal service bears. And the reason this is important is that 
the Postal Service has this unique network that reaches every office and every home in the country. And consequently, half of its package business comes from what's called last mile service, the local delivery of packages that have shipped from state to state by UPS or FedEx or DHL or Amazon. And so we need to protect that network, um, but not let the Postal Service take resources from, from mail and use them for package delivery. And um, that approach would solve the problem. It's, it's a big lift. Um, but at a minimum, we should stipulate that no funds, either from an appropriation or from postal rates, can be used for package deliveries. And that would mean all those resources would go back to delivering the mail on time. Okay. Let me ask you one other thing about the Postal Service. I gather that the Postal Service has, uh, be has beginning an experiment uh, with banking in, uh, in, a, in certain areas, uh, cashing checks, that sort of thing. Can you tell us about that? Well, this is another attempt to try to find a new business that's not declining. And, um, you know, they're trying to compete in packages. Now they want to try to compete in banking. The Postal Service needs to pay attention to its public mission. And its public mission is universal prompt delivery. And uh, focus on its public mission and not on providing private services. We have lots of banks that do that. We have lots of delivery companies that do that. And whenever we do that, the resources will end up coming out of the public mission in order to support competition with these private companies that have been figuring out how to be productive in this business for decades. <laughs> and, and they're better at it than the Postal Service. Do you think uh, public pressure uh, will move the administration and Congress to do what you think they should do, which is basically uh, to appropriate money to the Postal Service to make sure uh, everybody gets their mail, or is it um, a dead letter? No, I don't think it's a dead letter, uh, but I think people have to make their dissatisfaction with this clear to their members. Um, and this is not a, you know, we're not talking about a huge appropriation. The, the Postal Service gets lots of revenues, still, still gets today uh, $45 billion a year from postal, from postal rates. So the, this is, we're not talking about a big appropriation here. Uh, and, uh, you know, if it costs another five to $10 billion, in appropriations, which is you know a hundredth of a percent of GDP or something, something along those lines, uh, to have universal prompt mail delivery, uh, I don't think that will be a heavy one. Okay. If they want to read uh, about your thinking about the Postal Service, how can our listeners and viewers do that? Well, they can go to my blog, which is on my website. Uh, I've written about it. 
And if they go to the results section of my uh, website, they can see the whole study that I did of this problem. Okay. Uh, thank you, Dr. Shapiro. Our guest in this uh, hour, half hour was Dr. Robert Shapiro, the noted economist. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. This half hour of Deadline DC is brought to you by my company, Bannon Communications Research which polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Our guest in this first half hour is Congressman Ro Khanna, a pro-growth progressive Democrat representing California's 17th congressional district in the heart of Silicon Valley. Representative Khanna is first vice chair of the Congressional, Congressional, the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He also serves as an assistant whip in the Democratic Caucus. He was national co-chair of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. Uh, welcome back to Deadline DC, Congressman Connor. Thanks for joining us. Brad, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, first, I want to ask you quickly about uh, the recent revelations uh, of the uh, Congressional Committee on the January 6th riot at the Capitol. There have been all sorts of things flying around, including the uh, subpoena of Steve, uh, Steve Bannon, who I'm not related to, by the way, fortunately, uh, <laughs> and a new story in Rolling Stone talking about coordination between the White House and the protesters. What's your take on this? My take is this is not very complicated. There should be zero tolerance for anyone in government coordinating who seeks to destroy federal property, who seeks to overthrow our electoral process or disrupt in a illegal way proceedings of democracy. That's actually, frankly, a conservative position. It says let's uphold the rule of law. And another conservative position is when the Congress subpoenas you and you have a legal obligation to show up, you're supposed to show up. That's what the rule of law is all about. So uh, I'm hopeful that Democrats uh, across the country will stand up for the rule of law. We can only hope you're right, Congressman. Uh, let's switch topics. Uh, let me ask you about uh, Build Back Better. Uh, you, uh, first of all, I want to ask you about, uh, a meeting, uh, you as part of the leadership of the progressive caucus met with president Biden. Uh, what did you, what did he have to say to the progressive caucus and what did the progressive caucus uh, say to the president? It's a very engaging meeting. He was there for over two hours he was immersed in all of the details and he said two things. First, I need this to pass. I need us to get this win of infrastructure and build back better before I go to Glasgow. American leadership and prestige is on the line. Help me get a compromise and uh, get this done for the American people. Two, uh, he said, I want to keep all the programs and that if we seize the programs and we have the principle of the programs, we, we can then build on it later uh, in the term. So I found him compelling. Uh, and I think many progressives left there uh, more uh, committed to, to, to fighting for the president's agenda. We expressed our uh, 
key priorities, which included at the top climate uh, and uh, Medicare expansion. Okay. Uh, uh, yesterday, you were on Fox News Sunday with uh, Chris Wallace. Uh, I was interested in your comments on uh, you uh, certainly had a different take uh, on your uh, feelings about Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, as opposed to uh, Representative uh, uh, Kristen Sinema uh, from Arizona. Uh, you had kind things to say about Senator Manchin. Uh, what do you see as the big difference between the two of them? Manchin is someone who is a straight shooter, very accessible, will talk to anyone in Congress, Senate, press, uh, and you know where he's coming from. I mean, I obviously disagree with him. I'm a huge supporter of the climate energy plan that he wanted to take out. I uh, don't think that providing people with education means you're providing them with an entitlement. You're actually increasing their productive capacity. But you know where Manchin is coming from, and uh, he's uh, transparent. Cinema refuses to meet with almost anyone in the House. Uh, you know, if you're the chair of the Ways and Means Committee, maybe she'll uh, deign to meet with you for 30 minutes. She refuses to engage with the press, and you really don't know what she stands for. So it's uh, very erratic, uh, and that's been uh, the frustration of many people, of her colleagues, and many of her constituents. Okay. Uh uh, recently, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, said that uh, she felt uh, we were really were pretty close to a uh, Build Back Better bill. Um, are we? Yes, we are. I, I, I think we have now a uh, revenue stream that people agree on, which is looks like it'll be a billionaire tax, uh, which is the wealth tax that many progressives have been for. Uh, and a corporate minimum tax so that you don't have Amazon paying 0% tax. So I'm for raising the rates, but I'm also for these provisions. In some sense, these provisions are even more progressive that, to set the precedent for a wealth tax. So given that we have some agreement on revenue, uh, I'm confident we will get a, agreement on the framework. The two outstanding issues, I would say, is there's it's a red line for Senator Sanders that dental vision hearings stay in. They need to be in the final package, and, and there needs to be robust climate provisions in there. Well, do you think, well, first of all, let me ask you about those two things. Uh, uh, will they, oh, I, does that, does it, yeah, I gather, and, you know, you're in a much posi better position to make this judgment than I am, uh, that in terms of Medicare, we're pretty good on uh, eye care, uh, but uh, the dental care provision is shaky. Uh, what do you think is going to come out of this in terms of expanding uh, Medicare provisions? Well, we need to expand Medicare. It could be a pilot voucher program of giving everyone a thousand bucks because uh, CMS is taking a long time bureaucratically to say that how long it would take to certify dentists and start the program. So I'm, I'm fine with a, a dental voucher but we need something for 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 uh, the costs that people face. I mean, anyone who's had a root canal, anyone who's yes. had a tooth implant, yeah, you know, it costs thousands of bucks. Uh, my parents often complain about the dental expenses as the biggest unexpected expenses they have. So it's past overdue that we we cover dental for seniors in this country. 
Okay. And what about the climate uh, provisions to fight climate change? Uh, there's been a lot of comment that uh, uh, some of the uh, provisions for fighting climate change have been stripped out of the package. What, what are we going to have that will fight climate change? Um, the, 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 there's going to be the bold investments in solar and wind in the investment tax credit in the production, uh, tax credit. Uh, all of those provisions are, 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 are there. Uh, and, uh, then we need to have other provisions such as the, uh, state block grants to, uh, allow for states to hit climate goals or uh, to have uh, a, a fee on industry. And uh, those are provisions that uh, we need as an alternative to the CEPP. Okay. Uh, you know, m many, uh, at least some progressives are very unhappy that uh, they feel that the climate change provisions have been weakened. Uh all of Senator Sanders' proposals about Medicare, especially, as you mentioned, on dental care, um, are shaky. Uh, this package, uh, Senator Sanders re uh, initially opposed, uh, proposed a uh, $6 trillion package. It went down in President Biden's proposal to $3.5 trillion. Uh, now it seems to be in the area of, uh, I've I've read from one and a half trillion to two trillion dollars. Uh, what do you have to say to progressives who are concerned about some of the cuts that have been made in this package? I would say uh, that look at all the positives. It's a historic investments. First time we're going to have child care in this country covered. First time we're going to have a real child allowance. Every family with a kid is going to get 300 bucks per kid per month. Uh, first time that we're going to have uh, a strong commitment uh, uh, to uh, uh, senior care in terms of uh, dental. There will be a voucher in terms of hearing, in terms of uh, getting your eyeglasses or vision. Uh, first time that we will have uh, the type of climate investments that we do, hundreds of billions of dollars. So uh, is it everything we want? No. Uh, but is it a uh, mark in the direction of a progressive society? Absolutely. And these are policies progressives have been championing for decades. We're finally embracing that framework. Uh, progressives should uh, take pride in that we're winning the theory of the case. Okay, Congressman Connor, thanks very much for joining us today on Deadline DC with Bannon. We always appreciate your visits, and I hope you can come back at some point. I always like it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the chance. Okay. Uh, that was Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, we're going to break now, but when we come back from break, we'll have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, today's show, we've already talked to uh, Dr. Robert Shapiro, the noted economist, about the decline in service from the United States Postal Service. Uh, we just had Congressman Ro Connor on to talk about the progress uh, in the progressive push for Build Back Better. 
and it sounds like we're uh, very close to an agreement. Uh, now, in this segment, uh, we're going to discuss a couple of other things that have come up recently in the news. And joining me on the segment is our executive producer and progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. How you doing there today, Mark? Good, Brad. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's uh, nice to join you. Sorry, I don't have my usual setup. Uh, we we can tell uh, the listeners off air a little bit of inside baseball. A lot of the times, which Brad can attest, when you know we're lucky enough to have a member of Congress on, they have a very tight schedule, and uh, you know we expected to have the congressman on for the full half hour, but um, you know he was actually nice enough even though his schedule changed to still join us anyway for the segment that he did and uh so i apologize for my appearance i didn't know i was gonna be on camera today but um you know i found what he said really interesting you know it's very matter of fact in the story about um that rolling stone story you're referring to um about january 6th the um insurrection and the disturbing new revelations that two organizers of the, the Stop the Steal rally and then um, another rally that was um, planned then happened that day uh, had been in, in very consistent contact with um, over about almost 10 members of Congress, I believe it was, Republican members yep. of Congress, and had extensive talks with with their high level staff and coordination with the White House, including Mark Meadows, um, about not just uh, objecting to the certification of the election, but specifically these rallies that turned violent. And one of the uh, rallies, which was there were concerns that it was going to turn violent, and those concerns were raised with Mark Meadows, and he ignored those concerns. And finally, uh, I am encouraged at least that these two organizers of these rallies are coordinating and providing documents to the January 6th select committee so that we can get to the bottom of this because, you know, there were, there were, there were concerns early on, Brad, that there were members of Congress who were involved in this. And, you know, initially those were either brushed aside or people said, well, let's wait for the evidence to come out. And now that, you know, the evidence is starting to surface and the people who were in the room with them and the White House are saying this is what happened and they're providing documents that there was organization is disturbing enough. And one final thing I'll say that the worst part of it that I read was that Paul Gosar, uh, the Arizona Republican congressman, uh, was offering pardons, pre-offering pardons for people who would be involved in this insurrection which is stunning, absolutely stunning, and I believe clearly rises to the level of treason. I, I, how, I mean, I, I don't want to throw that word around, Brad, but what else are you supposed to call it? Well, uh, when we, uh, when there was a debate late last year, uh, earlier this year, uh, on the need for a congressional investigation of the Capitol riot, um, I thought the biggest the most urgent reason for having the investigation was to examine closely uh, the ties between the Capitol rioters, uh, the White House, and certain members of Congress. 
And it appears that now that the uh, January 6th Congressional Investigating Committee is working, is, is working, uh, we are getting more and more uh, revelations and information about, and I think that's the key matter, uh, the coordination, there's a triangle here, uh, the congressional rioters. And remember, five people died at that rally. It yes. wasn't um, a calm demonstration, oh. as former President Trump used to say. Yeah. But the triangle between the congressional rioters who took over the Capitol, uh, certain members of Congress, and they knew who we're, who we're talking about. We're talking about uh, Gosner of Arizona. Uh, we're talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Cawthorn uh, and a few others. And uh, the third part of the triangle is the White House. And the Rolling Stone uh, article says that uh, at least one of the planners of the Capitol riot or the plotters behind the Capitol riot uh, was in close contact with President Trump's chief of staff, uh, Mark Meadow, who before that was a congressman from uh, North Carolina. And that's what really bothers me is uh, and, you know, I think this is exactly why we needed the congressional panel uh, to discuss this, because uh, the Rolling Stone article is uh, very disturbing. And I think you mentioned uh, the Rolling Stone article says that uh Representative Gunther from uh, Arizona, who was a key figure in all this, yes. uh, was promising pardons to the uh, planners and rioters. Uh, that raises an interesting question because Congressman Gunther has absolutely no power under the Constitution to grant a, a pardon. Uh, the power to uh, grant pardons rests in the president of the United States. And if Representative Gosser was speaking on behalf of President Trump, exactly. now we got real problems here. Exactly. And that part of the article, which I would encourage everyone to read, you can read it at rollingstone.com. Um, you do need a, a subscription, but honestly, the article has grown so big that also Yahoo is actually hosting the article right now for free. Um, it's called Exclusive January 6th protest organizers say they participated in dozens of planning meetings with members of Congress and White House staff. Um, and specifically to that point about Representative Gosar, uh, Brad, potentially um, speaking on behalf of the White House, um, he was the point person with President Trump for these, uh, these rallies, it, we're finding out. So the fact that he had some sort of potential guarantee from the president regarding people who uh, were involved in the rally, potentially pardoning them. If I found that out after reading this article, I wouldn't be that surprised because that's what it's starting to look like. Now, maybe he was just, you know, saying that and lying to them or thought he could get a pardon from president Trump. But um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see how uh, that there's, there was no um, connection between these parties after after hearing about these things. And again, these were people who helped plan the rallies and had dozens of meetings with these congressional members. Um, so I just don't see how they would you can just brush this aside. Um, so I, it's very disturbing. It was what some of my worst fears were. And now it brings into question 
those uh, tours of the Capitol that happened the day before by some of these congressional members were giving people who were then at the Capitol the next day at the insurrection. Now, if this is true, that makes those uh, Capitol tours a lot less innocent, which they didn't look that innocent in the first place. They looked way too coincidental. I, I mean, that's how I feel. I don't know about you, Brad. Well, uh, you know, I think there are a couple things, you know, and again, that's why I'm so glad this congressional investigation uh, is proceeding. Amen. Uh, and sometimes I wonder if the House Minority Leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, thinks it was a uh, if he still thinks it was a bad idea for him to appoint Republican members to the committee. Now, we have a bipartisan panel because two Republican members uh, are on the panel, uh, but they were chosen by Nancy Pelosi instead of the minority leader because he didn't want to participate. And first of all, I wonder if he's regretting that now because all hell's breaking loose and he really doesn't have any control over the situation because, since he decided to uh, take his ball and go home, uh, you know, and I think it's very disturbing. One of the big issues, of course, is the president's uh, Trump's uh, political advisor and White House uh, chief of staff, former uh, Steve Bannon, who I might say again is I'm not related to at all. I get a lot of his uh, hate email, but I'm not related to him at all. Uh, on his uh, broadcast before January 6th, he said, and it was done on January 5th, he said, oh, tomorrow all hell's going to break loose. And uh, was he referring to the Capitol riot on the 6th? It sounds like he was. Uh, Mo Brooks, who's a number member of the House of Representatives, who's running for the Senate from uh, Alabama, uh, warned uh, the day of the rally that there was something big going on. But anyway, sadly, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thanks to our guest, economist Dr. Robert Shapiro and Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, Leslie back tomorrow and remember check out her Facebook site for her uh, more details about appearance at Emerson College uh, on a panel sponsored by the Communi School of Communication. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for everything. <laughs>